video games are the best. I'm on Compose Request. Everyone should listen here. Play a video game now, go. <laughs> go. Go! <laughs> Nothing runs with here. Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran. And in this show, I talk with composers, songwriters, producers, and scientists about the creative process of making music. Today's episode features an indie game developer and composer here in Minnesota, Lisa Wacos Miglacio. But first, some announcements. This episode is brought to you by the awesome Patreon patrons of Composer Quest and by Lynda.com. Lynda is an online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you improve your creative, technical, and business skills. For a free 10-day trial, go to lynda.com quest, and that's Lynda with a Y. Now, a moment to thank my patrons. Thanks to Brian Nolan, who found Composer Quest by searching for podcasts on composition and orchestration. Thanks also to Fidget, a Twitter friend and game designer. And coming in at the $5 per episode level is composer Darius McBride, who's studying music education at Malone University. Thanks, Darius. Here's your jingle. Darius McBride is quite the romantic guy. If we're talking romantic with a capital R, then one day he'll be a star. Lisa Wacos Miglacio has teamed up with her husband to form the indie game studio Interpeak Games. They're working to create games for people who aren't usually the target market, namely younger girls. In this episode, we talk about how Lisa uses her melodic composing to create happy music that's sometimes so sweet it'll make your teeth hurt, as she says. We also talk about what makes a good RPG, and she gives some good advice on meeting game developers. Stick around till the end of the episode for week two of All My Musical Children, plus another edition of Charlie's Music Production Lessons. Now, on to my talk with Lisa Walcos Miglacio. Lisa? Yes. Thank you for coming here on <laughs> Composer Quests. Now that it's official, I've announced it that you're on oh, the show. Yeah, I'm here. Um, so it's been fun meeting you through Twitter uh, yeah. a little bit, and but actually in person now that we've been to a few game design events. Yes. And, yeah. How did you get started doing game design? Well, way back when I was a young girl and I had a computer and I actually would get all my friends over and this is like, I want to say junior high, middle school, whatever that time period was, get all my friends to come over and I'd be like, let's make some games. And they're like, what? We get the microphone out. We make some sound effects. We'd um, use these like programs. Like I know on the Mac, there was HyperCard. On the, on the PC, there was this thing called Click and Play made by Maxis. <laughs> if you remember Maxis. Oh, yeah. They used Sim to make the SimCity. Yep. Yeah. And I don't think there are any more now. Sadness. But, oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
they went out to pasture oh, no. um, after being bought by EA. Anyway, um, so we did that. And I even had a sleepover. Can you imagine this sleepover of some young ladies? And I'm like, let's make games, guys. Doesn't that sound like fun? And they're like, let's talk about boys. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess I was hooked at an early age because of that. And um, we made a lot of cool stuff, but it was probably not very cool if you looked at it now. <laughs> it was cool then. So that's kind of how I got into games right away. Huh. Yep. So what kind of games were you doing back then? Like- <sighs> Well, Text adventure games, or the, the the one I'm super proud of was a uh, school project about Joan of Arc in her life. So that was a lot of fun because I like gave my teacher a floppy. <laughs> I said, "Here's my assignment," and she's like, "What do I do with this?" I'm like, "You can stall it." <laughs> that was quite fun. Cool, showing her how it worked and. What was the people with like swords and that was the gameplay <laughs> killing people with Joan of Arc? <laughs> um, there was four modes actually. I was quite the uh, the go getter. I think one was like stab people with a sword. Yes, very nice. Um, one was like a duel. I had two horses like dueling it out <laughs> or something in like ye old fashion. Obviously, one was crossing a river. <laughs> You had to get from point A uh, to point B by crossing this river, and like things would come down the river like logs and stuff. <laughs> Don't get hit. Oh, there was one more. But my favorite part of the game, and this is horrible because I just remember I must have been very young, and I thought this was hilarious, apparently. So if you win the game, you're the savior of France. That's the story, right? Joan of Arc's savior of France. However, if you lost, you know what's going to happen. You get burnt at the stake. Oh. <laughs> It's a really f- bad, horrible game over <laughs> screen that I made, but I loved it apparently because it was like, I know history, yay! Yeah. So, did you include music with that game? I did, and I might have made the intro theme. Ooh, oh, I'm having a memory. Cool. It was made in MIDI. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because if it was a WAV file, it'd probably be too big to fit on a floppy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh Those man, things couldn't this is fun. even hold like a uh, one song MP3. Exactly. Nowadays, so. Yeah, there were 1.4 megabytes or something like that. So it was made in MIDI, uh, in a MIDI um, composition, and I oh, I want to say I made it in this thing called Noteworthy. If you ever oh, remember that, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it was a shareware. <laughs> okay. Because I'm a kid, I don't have any money to buy things, so right. found uh, whatever would work. And it was a cool MIDI uh, sequencer, I guess you call them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What inspired you to start composing? Were you doing composing outside of games, too, or just kind of went hand in hand? I always loved music. I was always in some choir, piano. I even played the oboe as a child. I know, that's Mm. a weird pick. There was like three of us or four of us. It was a ridiculous amount of oboes. I don't know why they allowed that in my school. Um, you only need one, really, oboe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One's all you need. Um, so I like doing that kind of stuff. And I guess it just kind of progressed into how you use a computer to make the things that you're doing musically as well. Because I was really into playing with this computer and seeing how it worked, using that microphone. Okay, what, what else... 
Can I make sounds out of? Obviously, I can't make music with the wave file because it's not going to fit on the floppy. So out of necessity, you, you start playing with other things that'll fit that. And I knew how to read music. And I thought, hey, I can make some stuff happen on the screen. And then it hit the play button. It makes some sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you ever in a band or anything? I was in a band many years later. Okay. <laughs> we did covers of the 90s. <laughs> so everything in my life surrounds the 90s. <laughs> this Floppy is all I talk about. Floppy and... discs, Nirvana covers, whatever, you know, things like that. <laughs> Final Fantasy game Final music? Fantasy game music, yes. Um, my favorite Final Fantasy music was from Final Fantasy VI. Okay. There was a freaking opera. I mean, come on. <laughs> Nobuo Uematsu. Awesome. Um, and to bring this all back to make even more sense, remember phones before they had MP3s on them? <laughs> Usually those flip phones or those clamshells or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would make ringtones to go on my phone in MIDI. Oh, cool. With Final Fantasy music. <laughs> Obviously. Nice. Um, Again, you can't have MP3s on your phones at that point. That was kind of too big for your little tiny mm-hmm. um, cards. So had to make do with whatever technology was given to you and the limitations. Cool. Yeah. What do you think that has done for you as a composer? Like nowadays, knowing you have free reign to oh, do anything. It's but... harder. There's too much stuff. You always feel like you're not using everything possible, so you might not be getting the best sound, actually, I think, is a problem. So when it was MIDI, you got, what, 16 channels, one happens to be drums, so 15, potentially, and your space was a limitation, like you couldn't write a huge manifesto, right? I think it just makes you appreciate the things that you have and you kind of find your favorites maybe and you're not like tempted by the other stuff that might be out there that you're not using because it's so much better and someone else is using it so you don't feel like inadequate let's say yeah yeah (laughs) i don't have that pack you know that you used for the things so now i'm not so cool or i don't have the great microphone that you bought so my thing is subpar or whatever it is Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel like that's Maybe one of the reasons why people are drawn to video game music and like emulating the old style video game music because yeah. you, your sounds are limited. You can just do something and people will enjoy it more almost if there's only like one single melody. But then if you can be a little bit more complex, maybe. With that and all of the nostalgia that might go towards it. Yeah, when you're like, too. remember flip phones, you know, remember when I played that game? Yep. That helps a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're creating something like a game through code, what's your creative process like? And is it similar to how you compose or totally different mindset? It's interesting because I think that the music part will take a lot less time than the actual game making part but it's the same type of process where you you make something and you go oh i don't like that or i really like that i want to make more of that so it's like iterating over and over until you get that that sounds good or that looks good or that feels good if it's a video game you're like oh i like the feel that input's really working but 
when making a game, that could take months and or years sometimes. <laughs> With music, maybe it could also be that long, but it it's a little bit less, I guess, if you're only doing a 10 to 20 minute OST for a video game. You're not making a big old opera that's hours and hours and hours long. So for video games itself, the music part is kind of a very condensed version of the creative process that's very similar to making the actual gameplay. You're like, do I like the sound of that? Does that fit? Okay, no, scrap it. I remember uh, doing the main theme for the game I'm making, Astral Breakers. I'm like, oh, this is a great, great idea. Oh, I love it. You kind of like go up the scale and then you jump and it's like so, woo, I'm so hyped and this is awesome and I'm going to totally win. And then I went back to it about a month later and went, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> this is horrible. Why did I pick these instruments? And you like redo some of the things that you thought were cool about a month ago or whatever it was. And then a month later, you come back and you're like, man, that drone track is crap. I need to do something with that. And you kind of iterate again and again until the pieces that you hate are gone. The pieces that you like can stay. And then hopefully someone else likes it too, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, having time away from music is really important. Yeah. It's like true. I've you fall in love with your ideas, I think, as mm -hmm. a creative person. You're like, this is the best idea I've ever had. And then later you're like, man, I don't know what I was thinking yeah. about that. <laughs> and it seems like you could also, like, I was just thinking about this the other day when I was working on a piece of music. And it's like, I know exactly how the next part is going to sound. Yeah. But it's almost better when you come back to it later without that preconception of remembering oh. how it sounds exactly it always know? sounds better in your head kind of problem i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, yeah I'm either in your head or yeah do you hear music in your head too oh um, sometimes <laughs> we're gonna yeah. have like a, a show just about people who hear music in their head and a support group around that <laughs> as your as your music in your head like constantly um, no. I think catchy tunes will get stuck in people's heads a lot because they're everywhere. You go to shopping, you go in your car, you go, it's, uh, you're always barraged with things from Taylor Swift or something, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, why is Taylor Swift in my head again? Oh, because she's everywhere. They're, it's not because it's good. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. not because it's catchy. Um, so you like have to take yourself away from that just to hear what you're thinking about and what is like inspiring to you. And then you're like, huh, I hear a little song or something that trees reminding me of, you know, do, do, do back and forth or whatever it is. But I think we're barraged with so much stuff that it's almost hard to hear whatever is inspiring us or like music in our head unless we're really really happy all the time that usually is when the birds sing right <laughs> <laughs> is that for you <laughs> oh i'm yeah. happy mm -hmm. now the birds are singing all this time. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah that that's a good point that... not distracted is a better <laughs> yeah <laughs> not distracted usually is probably when that happens mm -hmm. no taylor i actually have your astral breakers theme in my head right now wow yeah, run up that scale.
I like that <laughs> melody in that. Good, because that was my first idea, and then everything around it was crap, but I knew that was a good <laughs> a good way to deal. <laughs> Every, everything around it didn't work. And um, when I came back to it, I was like, I'm sticking with this. I think this is a good idea, but I don't like anything else is going on, so I yeah. scrapped that. Repeat, so repeat, that, repeat. Is that why you have the two alternate mixes of that? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so... It's called like your winning theme kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm hopefully winning. I'm. It's a hopeful win, and it was the theme that plays when someone wins. It's like giving you that yay, we won kind of whoop. So then when I was going to actually make like the, I guess we call it UI, right? The navigation around the actual game. I thought, well, there's a title screen. This is going to be the screen that people see first, what they hear first. I don't want to be it too abrasive, but I don't want it to be too annoying. I, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'll make something around this theme that's kind of like getting them kind of into the game. And then the other screen that I used the same theme on was the select screen which I wanted to make super chill, like, nope, no pressure, man. Just pick pick a guy or pick a character, it's cool. I always wonder how to approach a game where you're sitting and thinking for a <laughs> while versus, like, an action game. Like those two. I think they're, yeah, totally different. Um, listening to just like battle music or something versus like a mobile game, maybe it's more like happy, fun, um, versus an epic RPG, like epic epicness, I call it, right? You're at the main world and you see everything and the whole world opens up and you're ready to go. <laughs> what are your thoughts on like melody in a game? I, Should it be catchy? Should I love melody. Be? Melody is my favorite part of music. I know some people are like beat. Some people are rhythm. Some people are like tapping everywhere with drums. I'm like finding a melody and going woo all over sometimes it feels like. So melody is important to me because I think it should kind of grab you in an interesting way. Get in your head a little mm-hmm. bit. <laughs> And then there's like a thought process I had, and this maybe not for Astral Breakers, but I did have a theme that I made for a class that I took in in college, and it was um, just audio production. And this was fun because you could just make up whatever story you wanted and compose music towards it. So I said, all right, we're going to do that epic epicness, right? Because we can, Mm because it can be whatever we want. We got to make epic then. So there's like a hero, and the hero has like, you know, a marching type, I'm so cool, whatever. And then there's a heroine, and the heroine's more feminine and floaty. And then, of course, there's a villain theme, and the villains, you know, I'm horrible and bad and dark and scary. 
But just from the fact that you have like a characterization and you could make melodies for them and then kind of try to intertwine those melodies, mm-hmm. kind of juxtapos- juxtaposition of them and like one's more masculine or one's a hero, one's a lady, one's a mm-hmm. bad guy or girl, whatever it may be. That's kind of interesting. Hmm. If you were going to make a huge RPG, what would oh, the story be? Oh, jeez. Or- no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be hard. Um, I do really enjoy the Final Fantasy series, so I'm sure I had a million and a half like ideas growing up playing them, going, that would be amazing if I could do this. I don't know. I think the thing that comes down to why like an RPG is great is the story and the music and just kind of the not going with the flow like i think the best stories in rpgs have been we're not doing what we're supposed to do we're not going with what is the thing we're supposed to be doing we're going to stop the badness because this does not help you know our society or this doesn't help the world and we have to save it from itself by you know stopping the bad the bad things that people are doing or the 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 bad things that the people in power decided mm. to do so star would, wars style like every the re- single one. rebellion <laughs> every single one yeah against the it's always em- a the rebellion. larger empire it's always yeah. the young the young <clears throat> the young person who sees the the elders doing the wrong and they have to you know and then of course they find a magic crystal so then they have to save the world or something mm-hmm. <laughs> something <laughs> like that your mitochondrias or what are they called in star wars um midi-chlorians mitochondria is like the real thing (laughs) (laughs) but uh anyway yeah (laughs) nerd alert (laughs) yep (laughs) that's all right this uh, podcast audience is also pretty nerdy oh that's good well actually how nerdy i am too i actually wrote a piece of music called midi-chlorians nice (laughs) yeah yeah that was for our star wars forehand piano oh cool thing (laughs) yeah quest yeah cool maybe i'll have to do a quest you should do a quest there's i i don't really know what the future quests will be other than our film score quest oh geez (laughs) yeah well um we talked about your Astral Breakers music, but you didn't really describe yet what the game is. Oh, yes. Yeah, what was the inspiration for that? And So me and my husband and I, let's say the correct English here, uh, we started a game company about a year ago. And uh, our kind of goal is to make games that people who either wouldn't play games or people who aren't getting games made for them. Uh, One example is like, I can't ever find a game that I want to play with him (laughs) ever. (laughs) It's like, you want to play fighting games? No, (laughs) you're going to kick my butt. You want to play, you want to play this JRPG with me? That's not going to work. They're one player. So it's hard to find like games that'll fit both of us. So I said, I love puzzle games and you're good with playing puzzle games. We should make a puzzle game. And that's what we did. So a lot of people see drop puzzle games and they say, oh, it looks like Bejeweled or something. It's not Bejeweled. It's not a match three. You have these breakers that you, when you turn into a breaker and you hit the same color, everything goes and breaks. And then 
goes and runs over to your other side, your other opponent, and then falls on. <laughs> so it's kind of an attack game, back and forth. So you do that, you break stuff, it falls on your opponent. They break stuff, it falls on you. So whoever does that the best way, or the fastest, or the most strategic, or whatever it happens to be, is the winner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's cool. I played it. It can get and, intense. Mm-hmm. Once you had the game in mind, what was the first thing you did when you're writing the music? Well, I kind of took that back and forth intensity and saying, okay, well, let's write a theme around the fact that you're going to have to win. <laughs> so that's why the hopeful win was like, I won! <laughs> Yay! Mm-hmm. The main theme of the actual game. And then going through some of the other things that were required for the game, which was there was different modes. So one of the modes is this competitive mode. So I made more of a like, uh, it's a little subdued, but it's more of an attack type theme. The second one that I did was called Supernova, and that's a not competitive. That's cooperative. This is not attacking each other. This is just doing together what we need to do, fighting against the supernova. So it was actually kind of easier to write the more chill stuff, I think. Maybe that would be my personality or whatnot. Who knows? I was seeing the birds and I was like, ah, they're inspiring. Um, (laughs) But uh, I remember doing the same thing throughout all of the songs, which is, I like to coin this, the tingy, tingy, (laughs) tingy, tingy sounds. So lots of bells and lots of like tingy, tingy sounds. (laughs) Twinkle, twinkle, Mm -hmm. but not the actual Twinkle Twinkle song. Yeah. Is that in public domain yet? I don't know. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. That's Disney, funny. Disney I just realized we both though. have written scores for games based around the stars, and they're both puzzle games. Yeah. <laughs> Star Reaction was the one I yeah. worked on. And yeah. I, yeah, I also went for the twinkly. Tingy Tingy. Mm-hmm. Let's coin that Tingy Tingy. <laughs> That's horrible. Tingy Tingy. Tingy Tingy sound. <laughs> So how do you usually come up with your sounds that you use? So I use GarageBand on my iPad, which is a weird choice, but it was the best $5 I've ever paid for software, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also have a synthesizer that I use that makes amazing sounds, but I can't remember what it's called. It's Innovation. And that had a lot of fun tingy-tingy sounds because it's very uh, synthy. And um, I guess going from there, that's how I like I would pick out a sound so- that I liked. It had the good waveform, maybe. I don't know. You, you, how do you know what sound you like? You just feel like, oh, it's a good sound. should use that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the way that sounds. And just go from there. And that was part of the iterative process, I think, because what you think sounds good maybe yesterday might not sound the best today so lather rinse repeat until it actually sounds right well i i noticed like so you did the score for your other game usagi chan yeah Uh, that one 
the song can be a little more abrasive because it's very loud and repetitive. <laughs> so I have an option to turn it off. <laughs> oh, do you think people do that? <laughs> yeah, I totally do. <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's Especially on their mobile. That it's not yeah. super repetitive. I, I try to do two <clears throat> themes on that just so you'd have a little bit of variety and mm. then repeat. Mm-hmm. Um. But that one was, oh gosh, that was so long ago. I don't even hardly remember where all that came from, but I needed something happy and bright. So Usagi-chan is a, a iOS game that you make recipes with ingredients. So you get chocolate and then you get a strawberry. So what can you make with chocolate and strawberry? Obviously a chocolate-covered strawberry. Um, so you put those together in the mixing bowl and yay, Usagi-chan's happy. So I wanted something that was kind of yay <laughs> all the time. So it was overly happy. Um, and I think on that one, I, I used Fruity Loops at some point because I was playing with that. And I like the little happy sounds you could come up with yeah. from Fruity Loops and that game, echoes and stuff. Your soundtrack in that has the probably the cutest sounds I have ever heard. <laughs> synth sounds. <laughs> Oh my god, it's so it's so sweet, my teeth hurt. <laughs> That's what I was going for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said, um, if your teeth hurt, you can turn off the music. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that it's also like very simple, like rhythm sort of. Yeah. Just like on the beat and nice. Yep. So that game has gotten like hundreds of thousands of yeah. downloads. So Usagi-chan was very well received. <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable. It's a mobile game. It's cute. It's got a bunny in it. I mean, come on. So it has about, I don't know, 350,000 downloads, which is good. And I think, oh my God, all these people around the world are playing <laughs> and listening to this music and playing this game. That's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Do you get feedback from these people who download yes weirdly enough i don't think i got too much music feedback so my assumption is people either like it or they turn it off yeah well yeah (laughs) or they for they forget about it so then (laughs) well i think you served your purpose i guess is very interesting because think about when you're playing a game on mobile you might actually turn your music down if oh, yeah. You're like at if you're a on place. the bus or something. And if you're, you know, like hanging out at home or whatever, you don't want to bother the people around you while you're going bloop, bloop, bloop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't know. That'd be an interesting discussion if you ever uh, bump into other people who have about like mobile music, <laughs> mobile yeah. games and music, and, you know, if they put a lot of effort into it or not. I do know that Nobu Uematsu actually did one of those free-to-play mobile games and he's the one who's been doing all the Final Fantasy music and I I thought to myself well that's interesting will anyone hear that (laughs) I actually thought about that when when I heard about it because I think a lot of people end up turning their stuff down and you know your speakers of your your phone may not be the best or you might not plug in your 
super expensive headphones to your phone either. So yeah, it might be lost to the ether. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, we were, we were kind of joking earlier about um, that you think treble on the piano yeah. is more important than the bass in a way. But well, that's, that's funny because <laughs> like on a phone, on yeah, phone you speakers, really you that. wouldn't even hear the bass. Yep. So how how did you end up getting 350,000 downloads? Oh, Is it magic? Marketing or something? <laughs> or um, Like I said, magic. <laughs> Sacrifice the goats. No. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, right time, right place, and I guess right demographic that wanted it. I guess that's the secret of marketing. And games are even worse because who knows what's a hit either. If I knew, believe me, I, I've talked to your game designer a bit on this, and I've mulled over how to reproduce that, and it's it's not particularly <laughs> mm-hmm. cut and dry. So I think one thing that was good on the mobile game was accessibility and doing a game for someone that's not usually the game's made for. So the demographic that downloaded that were very overwhelmingly ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it was kind of shown for younger ladies. So, it, you know, from like ages four and up, okay, get a teenager or a younger girl to play it. And it did well. And here's the weird one. You get statistics of what countries actually download your stuff. Very popular in Kuwait for some reason. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Never know. <laughs> I wonder what that, yeah, why that would be. <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah, I suppose the overwhelming majority of game designers are guys, it seems mm-hmm. like, and probably wouldn't think to make a game about cute cupcakes <laughs> and bunnies yes. and for... And the most for, saccharine sweet music yeah, ever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's Food for cool. thought. Ha-ha. Yeah. <laughs> but now that we've revealed your secret, oh, maybe no. there will be... Uh-oh. Well, I think... I I think uh, diversity is always good, and doing what you know is also good, too. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're not into that type of stuff, you might not want to go for it, because it will come out horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what does Usagi-chan mean? Am I even saying that right? Yeah, yeah. So it's Japanese Usagi for just bunny or rabbit. Okay. And chan is like a, a term of endearment. So you say that to a pet. Or even a girlfriend, you can be like, hey, what's up, Amanda-chan, or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You know, term of endearment of something, you know, cute or, like, adorable or whatever. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you have players in Japan? We have some. Not as many as I was thinking we would. Maybe if we translated it, it might be a little bit better. But I do have a fun story. We hosted two Japanese girls at our home last summer, and they both had phones. Of course, they came over with super awesome phones because they're from Japan, (laughs) and that's all they use. Like, they don't even use computers anymore. It's just phones, phones for everything, phones to talk, phones to text, phones to look up everything. And I showed them my game, and they were like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Because they, it wasn't in Japanese, but they wanted that because they were trying to er- learn some English, and that was oh, kind of okay. like a, it was like a gateway, like oh, I get that word. <laughs> huh. Cool. <laughs> oh, okay, that's the bunny. Oh, that's neat. Huh. So they enjoyed that. 
Yeah, I wonder, like, do you think people would use your game as, like, an educational um, thing? Maybe not that one. It's really, it's really simplistic. But we are looking at doing another game that's going to be a language learning tool because we're so ingrained into the Japanese um, culture and, and wanting to do that exchange. So we're going to do some kind of Japanese learning tool, hopefully, hmm. our next project. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> What are you thinking for the music? Oh, that's a traditional that's a good question. Japanese it's music. It's very or? hard actually because I've I've gone through different motions of what the art style and the music would be, and I wanted to go traditional, and I found that just totally doesn't work. It's it seems so antiquated in a way that you don't want to go down that road because most of the people who are looking at going to Japan aren't interested so much in the antiquated like samurais and geisha anymore. They're kind of enamored with anime and hmm. um, the idea of Japan as an electronics, you know, hub. That's kind of more interesting, at least to us too. That I mean it's the tea ceremony's cool and like the history, you go to these thousands year old shrines and that's awesome. But a lot of the cool stuff that you kind of get exposed to from Japan is through uh, their media and things like that. The anime and the and the music. A lot of people like Japanese pop music and things yeah. like that. So I think we're going to go with more modern modern stuff. Cool. Yeah. I haven't really watched much anime, but what is the music <laughs> oh, like? Well, J-pop J is very popular and it sounds very similar to American pop. But okay. they're speaking Japanese. <laughs> um, we don't have, obviously, the licenses to bring over super pop stars from Japan. <laughs> sure. So I'm looking at kind of electronic feel. Like, you go to Akihabara, Tokyo. That's um, the electronics district that has a bunch of video games and comic books and things like manga, it's called. Things like that. So I'm looking at that kind of thing to bring over, but... All in plan. Uh, uh, maybe next next week I'll have a different view of it, but <laughs> that's what I'm looking at right now. Cool. Yeah. So what kind of things have you learned in doing video game scoring? In composing, I think as you grow older, as you get more mature and more experiences happen to you, I think music changes like a bit of your perspective and what you think things should sound like. So... Like I made the comment when I was young, <laughs> the heroine sounds like this and the hero obviously sounds like this. I'm not sure that would always be my perspective now. Playing different things or even making different games, you tend to think, oh, these characters are different. Like uh, this one's a kick-ass girl or this one, <laughs> this one's a, a flawed character yeah. in, in some way. And the music would change based on that, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was kind of thinking about like how characters a lot of times they are the stereotypical yeah like music for a character but maybe it's better to think about like what is that character experiencing at this moment in the game yeah time to break in with a little promo for lynda.com since we're talking about creating stories let me share a clip from a lynda course called writing fundamentals the craft of story Part of being a composer is being a storyteller, and I think this is a fascinating course for anyone interested in creating stories. How do we get the reader into the protagonist's skin? By letting them feel what the protagonist feels. Why is this so important? 
because neuroscience has revealed that every decision we make and every reaction we have is based on emotion. Emotion comes first and reason follows. If we're not feeling, we're not conscious. And when it comes to story, if we're not feeling, we're not going to keep reading. What do we feel? We feel what the protagonist feels. This is why everything that happens in a story needs to affect the protagonist. In fact, everything in a story gets its emotional weight and meaning based on how it affects him in terms of his quest. If it doesn't affect him, even if we're talking about birth, death, or the fall of the Roman Empire, it's neutral, and so it has no place in the story. If you're interested in more videos and courses like this, try out Linda free for 10 days at lynda.com slash quest. That's L-Y-N-D-A. Now back to my talk with Lisa Wacholz McGlacio. Do you have any creativity tips for people? Like, how do you get in a creative mindset? Well, I think people are really afraid of judgment, and that's normal, and I have that as well. I mean, no one ever gets around that. But at some point, you have to just go and do it, even if you don't think you're the best. So I would say that's one hump to get over for people who are kind of in that boat where they're, I don't know if I'm good or I don't know if I can do it. Just do it and see what happens. Who knows? You Mm -hmm. might be on Composer Quest one day (laughs) (laughs) talking Mm -hmm. about music. Yeah. It might happen. Um, And then I guess getting into the zone, not being distracted. There's a million things that could get your attention that big one usually on your, you know, in your hand called your phone. Don't look at it. <laughs> outside sound, you know, people next door or people yelling outside, dogs barking, you know, get away from that so you can actually think. And that I think helps creativity a lot. Yeah. What advice would you have for composers who are looking to work with game developers? Oh, I would say. The one thing, if you don't have the perspective, making games is really hard. (laughs) It's really hard and time-consuming. And it's funny because I think that game makers go through the same process a lot as composers do. That iterative, like, oh, I don't like it, keep going. Oh, I don't like it, keep going. So as long as you're kind of open to that, you can make good music for the game, especially if you're collaborating. But know that the poor game maker is doing the same exact thing in a different way. And probably taking a lot longer, too, because mm-hmm. it's, like, way more gorp to deal with. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you can point, bond. Cause... You can bond over the <laughs> yeah the, the difficulty. Yeah, that's a good perspective to have, because You're both it's easy in this to together. Say, yeah. <laughs> and, like, if a game developer comes to me and says, like, oh, I don't really like the music. Maybe you could change it a little, a little bit. I... Shouldn't be offended, and don't because... you already know a little bit though? Don't you go, yeah, that tingy tingy isn't tingy enough, or yeah, something. Yeah, you can. Some, <laughs> when I, it's good to play the actual game with your music. Yeah, it's a real test. Sync it up. Yep. But yeah, like if it for me changing the music isn't really that involved. I mean, I can change around a little bit, and it won't take days and days. <laughs> But sometimes if you tell the programmer, like, oh, I don't think this game mechanic works, that could change the entire (laughs) coding of the game, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all feel that 
when we do anything creative, we all feel that like, that's my baby, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You have that like emotional connection towards your thing that you've made. And it's hard to hear feedback. And I'm not the best person, you know, that says, yes, feedback's fine. You know, whatever. Everyone feels that. But like, if you're working with someone who's also doing something creative, you know exactly how it feels. So you would be like, you know, let's figure this out together and we'll do that iterative process as opposed to, oh, no, that's no good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no good. Don't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I do with that? <laughs> yeah. Have you worked with a game developers as the composer? I haven't delved into uh, doing any composition for anyone else yet. We'll but see. maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. You never know. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to step on your uh, turf, though. Yeah, this is this is my it. turf. It's your turf, only you. No. <laughs> I don't I know. Think I haven't thought about it. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot more games being made than there are. Yeah. Composers sometimes. I mean. Yeah. Game composers. Yeah. Exactly. So, it's just finding out where they. Yeah, and... Ga- game jams are actually really cool to meet um, <clears throat> people who are making games. I don't know if you uh, knew about the last one, but I'm global sure game be jam, more. global or... game jam's a good one. Yeah, there's one called uh, Let 'em Dairy, and it's oh, kind of yeah. a competition that just happened. There are like thousands of game jams on the internet that you can do if you're really, you know, having fun. But if you want the kind of working with the local uh, developers or the local community, the game, the global game jams are really good. Yeah. It's nice there. Well, we've met at the yeah. IGDA, mm-hmm. International Game Developers Association. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. There's a Twin Cities chapter, obviously, mm-hmm. and other ones around the, yep. the country. Yep. Have you found it easy to connect with people through online uh, things like um, other game developers or the best has been face to face. I went to GDC, the Global Game Developers Conference this year, and that was pretty awesome. Just seeing music people, seeing artists, seeing other people who are designing and coding and all that stuff. Lots of cool things going on, and um, you know, just connecting with people on a person to person basis, seeing what they're they're passionate about and what they're doing. That's neat. You go, hey, what what are you doing? And everyone will tell you within like half an hour all of their things. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. down to the way. Like, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. Because everyone's so passionate about games when they're in it. Cause it's not so much always about the money. <laughs> yeah. Just like music, I'm assuming. Yeah. You're you're picking your profession because you really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, cause I think sometimes at those events. So a lot of people are shy and you don't know how to approach a <laughs> other developer or something. But at least if you have the question of like, what always, games are you working on? Always ask them what they're working on because yeah. they're always happy to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> they will tell you in great detail if you, if yeah. you, if you just keep nodding your head yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... I feel like the question always comes up to me like, what kind of music do you write? And I kind of hate that question. Oh, no! <laughs> but I do like the question, like, oh, what projects are you working on mm-hmm. right now? Yeah. Because it's hard to describe kind of, like, what music you write sometimes. That, Yeah, that's <laughs> actually something I didn't think about. But there's obviously some things, like, some genres that you probably have better affinity towards. And True. Like, I'm all about the melody. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd write a big, you know, drum solo. Mm-hmm. very well 
<laughs> so if you're into like more tribal games, that might not be good for me because I'd be like, I have no idea what to write with mm-hmm. the drums. But um, if you're more into a cutesy melody, <laughs> I might be like, I am there. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you like heavy metal, death metal, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally my style. <laughs> Which, weirdly enough, we have games that use that type of stuff here. At local local developers are using some heavy metal. Some local yeah. developers are using more chip tunes. Some local yeah. developers want symphonic. Lots of stuff you can do. Yeah. What was the one game? I think it's Wall Ride Games. Yeah. They Shout out to uh, like... Ella Metals. Yeah. <laughs> Very don't, nice. Don't they like? the actual characters that you play as it's kind of like super smash brothers but they like are (laughs) metal guys and yeah you head bang to get your energy back yep (laughs) that's cool yep if you could write the soundtrack to any game or kind of a game what would that be yeah it would be a jrpg unfortunately (laughs) I know, like, the whole progression of RPGs or JRPGs, just whatever, RPGs from Japan versus Western, they have a kind of different feel to them. The Western ones are a little bit more dark hmm. and, I, I guess, less optimistic. Hmm. <laughs> Whereas the Japanese ones are very colorful and use more than gray and brown and, you know, are a little bit more um, upbeat, I guess I would say. So that's why I say JRPG, because they have a little bit different feel. But... um when when you go back to like the Nintendo era, you've got your chip tunes. I I don't think I'm particularly like a chip tune person. I know a lot of people are. There's a lot of nostalgia around that, and I I get it. But um, then they kind of moved into symphonic and you know sweeping ballads, and somehow they put in pop songs all of a sudden. I actually don't mind like the vocal parts of hmm. of games now that you can actually do that. You don't have a limitation of space and you have to put a little tiny midi file on there anymore but yeah so like i actually enjoy the more vocal themes and the more um not the ones that we just drop a song in and say it's good you know Mm. not the song inspired by (laughs) the movie (laughs) thing and now it's like oh yeah we're gonna put fergie's song in something because you know Mm. fergie right yeah um not those songs the songs that are like written for the actual ost that have some kind of meaning towards them i think those are really cool in in songs now and yeah that's i can't really think of too many games there are vocal yeah there are vocal um songs in a lot of the jrpgs that are coming out now like final fantasy 13 has a few of them okay and they're very poppy huh they're a little bit I say English, that's not particularly a good thing to say, but they are English words, but someone not native is speaking them, so sometimes they get a little weird, but that's part of the the interesting part of it, right? Yeah. There's actually a game called Near, Gestalt, I think is the actual real name, and the singer is half European, half Japanese, and she makes up words. So you don't have to have them translated. They go for anything. And she's just got these sounds that she makes in this music that works for all different types of people because it sounds Japanese, but it sounds English. You know, It's hmm. kind of an interesting, I guess it's accessible. You don't have to actually localize that if both your audiences get it i guess yeah so what what game is that in near it's called near um and then there was a 
another game that she did less awesome music but still pretty awesome called Drakengard 3 so huh. people can look those up does that one also have the like fake language yeah stuff in it <laughs> yeah huh I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast recently, but we've been doing question chains from Okay. every person asks a question of the next right. guest. So your question is from Bob McCallum. He makes these like evolutionary music things. But yeah, he was wondering if you have an idea in your head of what music you want and then you compose it and produce it, how many times out of 10 is it what you expect? Or does your creative process change? Huh. The mute, change what you he had wants, originally. He wants statistics, I see. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily I have my journal of how many times now. Your um, spreadsheet. I do not. Um I would be going on a gut feel saying that it's probably only one out of 10 because I said there's an iterative process. You listen to it a week later and go, what was I thinking? Because mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes you get, you fall in love with the idea of something and not be rational about what something's supposed to sound like or it sounds better in your head than reality, whatever it is. So I would say probably only once out of 10 because you have to get right at least once. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you should just go home and, and take a nap. Yep. Um, 10%, though. 10%. That's way below an F. Yeah, that's fine. But that's okay. That's okay, because you can do it an infinite amount of times. Yes. Ah. <laughs> well, and probably the 9 out of 10 times maybe is something different and cool in another way. <laughs> yeah. You come up with a better idea or a different idea or scrap what you had. I mean... You could say zero then, but (laughs) (laughs) scrap what you had. But at least the act of doing something brought you to, you know, the next better idea. Mm -hmm. So, One of my guests, Wilma Kutstall, who was talking about the psychology of creativity, Uh was talking about how, like, you are way more creative when you actually have the sensory thing right in front of you, like actually making it. Because mm-hmm. it seems like if you try to conceptualize something just uh, in your head, either, I don't know, maybe it's going to be like derivative of some other idea. So uh-huh. by actually like playing an instrument oh, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, a- absolutely. You have to put it to actually hear it. <laughs> and that's why I said, put it down. Don't just say, I have this great. I hear this a lot with people. I'm writing a book, right? They'll say, and you're like, cool, let me read it. And they're like, no, it's in here in my head. <laughs> and you're like, then you're not writing it. You're thinking about writing it, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> that makes me think back to the, the huge album project I did like, yeah. in college. And I I was very heady about it. Like I had all these ideas. Uh huh. But eventually I just had to go with yeah. Whatever music I had. Yeah. Which was a lot of random stuff. So the project ended up being pretty random. Interesting. Which kind of fit the story. <laughs> but it's like, well, yeah, maybe it would have been better to just I I know when people make albums, they're probably looking for songs that either they make or they identify with from someone else and they they'll record them and they'll pick out, you know, X amount that actually worked. It's not mm. like everything is gonna hit. Right, so that 10 out of the 10s, I don't think, unless you're really good. 
I think like making something right the first time is really hard unless you are a master. And none of us are really masters because as soon as you realize you're the master, you're probably wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's very like Buddhist philosophy, right? Exactly. If you think, if you see Buddha in the road, kill him. Oh, no. That's actually, yeah. So, do you have a question for the next guest? This is going to be hard. We won't know who it is. It'll be a mystery. It's a mystery. What would be the ideal environment for you, and that's just your physical space, to be creative? We'll go with that. That's good. Yeah. Well, Lisa, I think it's the time in the podcast where I ask you to make an intro theme song for your episode. Sometimes (laughs) I let people off the hook and I say, you can produce it later. Oh, no. But I kind of am curious to... We have a piano here. Oh, yeah. I have a guitar. And you could even sing. Yeah. Lyrics for Composer Quest. Yeah. I'd probably use the guitar because it's just easier. <laughs> sure. Well, let me <laughs> grab it. think of something. You want me to make something completely new? Um, yeah. Something. Video games are the best or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Video games are the best. I'm on Composer Quest. Everyone should listen here. Play a video game now, go. <laughs> go. Go! Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Lisa Wacos Miglacio. You can find all her games at entropygames.com. Our question of the week is, if you could score any kind of game, what would it be? Share your thoughts at forum.composerquest.com. Also, I realized I forgot to ask you a question in last week's episode, so we'll do a double question this week. Last week, I talked with Bob McCallum about the evolution of music. So my second question for you is, what do you think music will sound like in 50 years? Again, head to forum.composerquest.com. I know we don't have too many people posting on the forum right now, but it's always there if you want to jump in on any of these question threads, even if you're listening to these episodes much later. Also, feel free to send me feedback if you have suggestions on how to make the forum more functional or cool. Charlie at composerquest.com. Now it's time for episode two of All My Musical Children, the soap opera based on the musical mating game at darwintunes.org. Last week, we mated two musical loops together to create this cute little musical baby. Not so cute, really. Anyways, this week our loop is all grown up and looking for a mate. So let's take a listen to some of the potential mates that have been evolving out in the Darwin Tunes universe. Thank you.
These were all pretty cool, but I chose to mate our composer quest loop with a loop from Darwin Tunes creator himself, Uncool Bob. So after they did their thing, here's what the eight musical children sounded like. Time to discard seven babies and choose only one to carry on our family line. I chose Child 7, a noisy, angsty little child. Next week on All My Musical Children, will our bass-heavy loop find someone to mate with who might bring out its softer side, or will the family line be saturated with noise and intensity? This week I've been working on a 30-second track for a contest hosted by Unique Sound, who helped us with the Patrick Scriabin quest. In this new challenge, a music supervisor at the ad agency TBWA will be taking a listen to each entry, and one person will win 200 bucks. The challenge is basically to write music that could be used in a commercial, with the following style guidelines. Indie pop, dreamy, electro, and ambient. Oh, and the track also has to start mind-blowing and have an emotional explosion ending. Since there was no video element to this challenge, I just had to picture blobs of brain and heart flying everywhere to capture the feelings they suggested. Since my track's only 30 seconds, I'll play you the full mix, then break it down into its layers. As you can hear, the track is pretty dense, with 9 guitar layers, 8 percussion layers, 4 synth layers, and a bass layer. My process involved a lot of iterating, like Lisa was talking about. I'd often record a part that I thought should be prominent in the mix, but when I listened back, I'd decide to either scrap it or lower it in the mix. My initial guitar idea did make it through to the end, although it gets a little drowned out by the other guitars I added. With a little fancy fading here, you'll hear the initial guitar idea spotlighted for a moment. (laughs) 
As with most of my guitar layers, I recorded these parts twice and panned them left and right. I've heard conflicting thoughts on that strategy. Some people say it wastes precious frequency space by doubling the same part, but I think it's worth it for the unique stereo image it creates. Next, I added a few percussion parts. It's sometimes tricky to add cowbell because it can stick out like a sore thumb, but in this situation it seemed to work in the mix. I should mention that I have a very rhythmic reverb on the master track, which is most obvious in the percussion layers. Here's what it sounds like without reverb. And with reverb. I added some synth pads to reinforce the chords in the guitar part, and I used sidechain compression to create a pulse. I have a whole production lesson explaining the sidechain compression technique, so you could look for that in episode 6 at composerquest.com cmpl. No indie pop track would be complete without a bass part. To me, adding a bass part is like frosting a cake. It makes the whole track way more cohesive and delicious. As a test, I'll play you a little bit of the track without the bass, then bring it in. I decided to make the bass slightly more distorted partway through the track for a little extra energy. Here's what that transition sounds like by itself. I added a few different strummed guitar parts, just strumming one major chord throughout the whole track. The first part is pretty rhythmically laid back. Next, I created a guitar part for the second half that felt like it was double the tempo of the first strum guitar. I realized piling these similar layers on top of each other might be a waste of oral space, and what I really needed out of the second, more intense layer was the rhythmic hits. So I decided to turn down the second guitar layer and record a new layer on top of it, with muted strums, which work more like a percussion layer than a guitar layer. As a side note, if it sounds like the electric guitar and bass are clashing by overlapping the same frequency range, I might take out some low end in the electric guitar and take out some high end in the bass. I did that in this track and it seemed to clean up the mix quite a bit. Next it was time to add some melody parts. I think for commercial music, adding a melody is one of the hardest things to do, because you don't want the melody to stand out too much. I especially have trouble finding synth sounds that work well as melody parts. On the one hand, you don't want to make the synth sound so crazy that it draws extra attention to itself, but on the other hand, if it's too bland, it might also draw attention to itself by feeling too low-key. In my track, I ended up using a synth lead that had a lot of character, but not too much high-end. In one of my iterations, I also added another synth part, but after taking a break and coming back to it, 
I realized it was way too attention grabbing. Here's what it sounded like. I decided to cut that synth and replace it with a minimal guitar part. After I was pretty satisfied with the mix, I sent it to my friend Tyler Thole for feedback. He's an excellent producer who you might remember from Composer Quest episode 87. He had one idea for my track, which was to add an acoustic drum kit to enhance the energy shift around 10 seconds in. He mentioned that's something he would often do at the commercial music studio he worked at. So I gave it a shot and tried adding some acoustic drums. Since I wasn't totally satisfied with the one drum sound, I decided to use two different drum kits panned left and right. Here's the first. Here's the second drum set. And here they are together. I'm guessing this technique would probably be frowned upon by professional music producers, but sometimes you just have to trust your ear. I'm really curious to see how other composers approach this challenge. I'm not too hopeful about my odds, since I'm not sure if my track really qualifies as indie pop, dreamy, electro, or ambient, but oh well, it was fun to make. So before I play the final mix once more, I should mention that you can find all of my production lessons as their own podcast, Charlie's Music Production Lessons, on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcast app you use, or you can download them directly at composerquest.com slash cmpl. Thanks for listening, and here's my final track, codenamed Dreamy Synth Pop. (laughs) ¶¶ 